could be the next Barbara Walters. I believe that Mr. Gorbachev, you know, the man who ran Russia for so long, I believe that he would still be in power today if he had that big purple thing taken off his forehead. It's not happening to see is it? You've got to be able to do things that ordinary people wouldn't do. He gets like a hundred million bucks. Could he be from the WWE and Weather Center? What do you think Stephen will do? Could he about You're not anybody in America unless you're on TV. You did not meet my wife by chance. She is in love. You're in business. It's called a con, and my wife is the grand prize. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. Do it! We decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an honor shout out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for getting close to a year and a half. Yes. So I think Lots there's something content. like high 30s, getting close to the 40 bonus episodes back there. So you haven't made the jump mm. to Patreon. That's how many episodes are waiting for you. And speaking of which, we do have uh, one patron to thank this week. And they are <laughs> Keenan Stella. Keenan, thank you. Thanks. The Wolf King. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us and getting all those bonus episodes. And the other plug, if you guys are listening on iTunes and you guys have been enjoying the show, make sure to go give us a good old rating and review over on iTunes. It helps Please us do. find new listeners. We really appreciate that as well. But those are your plugs for the week. I am your host, Josh Lewis. And joining me, as always, is my co-host. Jamie Miller. Welcome back. We are back talking sleazy movies for all the free listeners this week and as usual actually except for last week <laughs> yeah but usual <laughs> usual anyway we do have a guest for you guys but two weeks ago would have been the last time you guys heard from us we went og boys guestless and we did there was a child's play remake out which i still haven't seen yet yeah um, i feel like i'm not gonna like it but i haven't seen it yet either so i won't so, say anything yeah i haven't even read too much about it honestly but <laughs> we did the original child's play from 1988 directed by tom holland written by don mancini and we paired it with another movie about a uh, uh, children's toy Trying coming to, to life everybody. to do some violence and that was Joe Dante's 1998 film Small Soldiers which is also a kind of consumerism and militarism satire which at the same time underrated. which is really underrated Jamie and I went to also. bat for that one so uh, if you haven't heard that episode that was two weeks ago at whatever podcast listener of choice but last week for patrons you guys would have got your special bonus episode and we were doing World War II Men on a Mission movies yeah they were great we did The Dirty Dozen, 1967, uh, and we also did Where Eagles Dare, 1968, with uh, Richard Burton it's and Clint Eastwood. non-stop action. It's like a two-and-a-half-hour set piece. Yeah. It's beautiful. So if you haven't uh, heard that episode and you want that episode, again, patreon.com slash podcast. But yes. getting all that out of the way, we have a very special guest for you guys. He is a uh, film editor out of Massachusetts, but also primarily a meme generator, a living meme <laughs> generator on Twitter, talking all the time about mobsters and, I mean, I guess movies. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, specifically I'm mob so, movies. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and the combination of the two. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, that's my sweet spot for sure. Exactly. And that is uh, Nick Yusa. Nick, how are you doing? What's going on, guys? Thank you for having me on. 
Of this course. is a, a real treat. I mean, and also, too, this is, if you can believe it, the first time I've ever been asked to be on a podcast. So, oh, wow. this, this, is a, this is a beautiful moment. Um, so, I'm psyched. <laughs> no, That's I, awesome. I saw the kind of movies that he was into, and I was like, he seems right for our show. Um, so, that being said, Nick, you know how this works. We get a guest to bring on the two films with them. So, what two films have you brought with you, and why have you paired them together? So, we went with two uh, 90s classics, in my opinion. Um, so, Gus Van Sant's To Die For, and then A Perfect Murder by uh, the auteur, Andrew Davis. Um beloved Hollywood director, Andrew Davis, who everyone knows and loves. And uh, when I looked at your episodes, I was thinking, well, what genre do I want to do? And, and you said, I love mob stuff. And I was thinking, oh, maybe that, or, or maybe something even more sort of classic exploitation, like the Warriors or something like that. But then something I find us talking about a lot on Twitter together, Josh, is sort of um, what's going on in Hollywood today and the death of the mid-budget studio movie. And so to me, these encapsulate uh, this sort of adult thriller genre uh, that just doesn't get made anymore. I mean, yeah. I don't consider Fifty Shades of Grey this. I consider Fifty Shades of Grey a parody of these movies. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's crazy, right? I mean, these are movies made for adults with real Hollywood stars and for, you know, a mid-budget range. And there was an audience for these type of movies that just isn't there anymore. Oh, I mean, a, a, a perfect murder. I looked it up. It opened at number two at the box office. So wow. imagine like the number it, two movie. Huge. Yeah, and it cost sixty million dollars. They spent sixty million dollars on That's that movie. Unbelievable. The nineties, man. It was just a crazy yeah, time. The, the, yeah, I was about to say. I'm sure twenty mil of that went into Michael Douglas's pocket. I mean, <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. I mean, sure. a, after his career trajectory in the nineties, that's definitely where most of that went. Because I, I, I did a look it up too. To die for cost like one third of that. Oh wow. So uh, yeah, it ha had to have been a case where they were just uh, Michael Douglas's salary was definitely a huge yeah, bump the, on their he must budget. Have been at the height of his career. <laughs> what's what's really interesting to me too about a perfect murder specifically is. So, directed by Andrew Davis, who I was sort of clowning on earlier because that's a name that I certainly didn't know off the top of my head. But then, you know, you look at his IMDb. This guy directed Under Siege. He directed The Fugitive. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was a big-time Hollywood director. In the 90s, yeah. In, but in the 90s. And so it's like you think about – I feel like if a guy like that today made, you know, a, a movie that, did, that opened number two, an adult thriller like this – this guy would either be directing a Marvel movie next <laughs> or everyone or like an elevated horror movie, I guess, but people would know who he was like, but he's a total journeyman, right? I mean, the yeah. most sort of like anonymous, like, I mean, I can see why the studios loved him because he probably, he just probably knew how to bring a movie in on time and under budget. But it, it's to me, that's indicative of something that just doesn't happen anymore where you just don't have sort of guys moving around. Like, I can't imagine Michael Douglas sort of being being in a movie and being directed by a guy like Andrew Davis. No, Michael it Douglas is, is now in Ant-Man, right? That's his thing. Yeah, that's exactly. true, yeah. I, I He's mean, in two the Marvel movie now. As is Gwyneth Paltrow. So two oh, yeah. Out of three <laughs> and then Vigo Mortensen is Vigo. He went on to be in, in Lord of the Rings. I mean, all three of yeah. these people are still cashing checks. Now, Nicole Kidman, on the other hand, Big Little Lies. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah. 
I haven't uh, seen that yet. But on HBO Sunday nights right now. We are not sponsored. This is not a sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. But, but if they want to sponsor the pod, they should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, please do. I'll, I'll take that HBO money. Come on. What's going on here? Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, that's a pretty good intro. I think that we are going to, though, we're going to jump right into it. We're going to start here. We're oh, going to oh, do. Oh, and, oh, and I do have oh. to say, I brought this up pre pod, but. They are both 107 minutes, which oh, I definitely yeah. did on purpose. So <laughs> they were they were clearly meant to be discussed together. Yes, but all right. Exactly. All right. Well, we're going to jump into it, and we are going to start here. We're going to talk to die for. Columbia Pictures welcomes you to the real America. Suzanne, did you get those kids to kill your husband? Where criminals get to be celebrities. It was on First Edition and American Justice. And celebrities get away with murder. It's nice to live in a country where life, liberty, and all the rest of it still stand for something. Nicole Kidman is... To Die For. All right, we are talking to Die For, the 1995 uh, crime thriller comedy drama, (laughs) also mockumentary. uh, Satire, satire of America. So many words, so many genres, Gus. (laughs) Directed by one Gus Van Sant or Goose Van Sant, however you want to, <laughs> however you want to do that one. Sorry, buddy. Honestly, you know what it also would have paired pretty well with is Pain and Gain. I thought. Oh yeah, <laughs> I real. thought the, yeah. just and because right because everyone said always saying like oh that's a movie about America. I was like to die for is might be the most American movie ever made. <laughs> I agree. It is based on the novel of the same name by one Joyce Maynard, which was loosely based on the story of a real-life criminal by the name of Pamela Smart, who notoriously, uh, on May 1st, 1990, um, convinced her 15-year-old lover and his three friends to kill her 24-year-old husband. So it's accurate down to that detail. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So that is what the book was inspired by and, you know, by, by extension what the film was inspired by. Um, I did think it was funny doing a little bit of research on it that it was revealed that in the book version of this, apparently, um, the character, Suzanne Stone, uh, states that if anyone was to ever make a movie about her life, that she would want the actress that was married to Tom Cruise in real life to play her. Really? And that was Nicole Kidman at the time. That's unbelievable. Yeah, uh, <laughs> talk, wow. Talk about calling your shot. I mean, that is big <laughs> time energy into existence. I mean... Yep. That's great for her. Yeah, and Nicole Kidman read for the character and like begged for the part. Whereas like other actresses, apparently Meg Ryan turned the role down. People were turning the role down because they thought it was, you know, this like gross character. Oh, and Nicole okay. Kidman was like, This sounds There's like the juiciest here. role of yeah, my life. Exactly. Uh, she just gets to chew the scenery in every single scene. And Nicole Kidman Meg- is the the star. She's more oh, of the yeah. auteur of this movie than even Gus Van Sant is. Uh, I think so too. A hundred percent. And and but how about the fact that Meg Ryan turned down five million? She turned down it. five million dollars wow. to star in the movie and this was the 90s so that's pretty much 10 mil if we're being real <laughs> yeah, yeah. it is yeah it's pretty crazy um but for anyone who hasn't seen the film it it loosely follows a woman by the name of susan stone moretto played by nicole kidman uh who from a very young age always wanted to be a world famous news anchor slash tv personality and uh over the course of this sort of like mockumentary formatted film we get the sort of her rise 
uh, to uh, it doesn't even get that high. She just really becomes like the the weather like person the at like a local. small <laughs> yeah. at a small local, which I loved about it. Right? Oh, it's, it's great. It's, it's it's the how small a scale it is. Very sort of Cone Brothers esque feel. I mean, <laughs> exactly de- like farcical. De- definitely yeah. all for. <laughs> and yet, yeah, like her de- narcissism, definitely Fargo esque. Yeah, and yet her narcissism just it constantly paints this image that she feels the entire world is watching her. When, oh, yeah. When, in fact, it's just She's this, always like, small New Hampshire There's There's, there's a, a great, like, performative element to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but most of the movie, though, follows her as she tries to climb up the corporate ladder of, you know, TV news. Yeah. Um, and kind of her, her go, her charming, like, go-getter, charismatic attitude combined with what seems a bit like a, uh, we'll say, sociopath streak Absolutely. of not really caring how it is that she ends up reaching her goals. Um, the ultimate schemer, for sure. I yeah, mean, exactly. It seems like every single interaction she has with somebody is like she's in a job interview. <laughs> she's constantly trying to convince them. Do you, know, do you know another movie that did that exact same thing? Nightcrawler? Nightcrawler. Dude, I yeah. was going to say that. It, it, it felt but, but, like but right down to the performance. might have grabbed a couple little traits from I think, her I think performance, he, I think honestly. he had to have stolen some yeah. because my literal note about Jake Gyllenhaal's performance in that movie when I saw that movie was he feels like he's constantly in a job interview yeah. in that yeah. really fake sell yourself. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, and, 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 and Tony Gilroy definitely cribbed from this too. I mean, yeah, that uh, network and a couple other media satires, uh, that were coming out around that time. And I mean, this too is itself is a media satire, but, uh, I do think that Gus Van Sant is kind of interested in doing something else here, kind of like formally. Cause like, I think a lot of people have seen this, I was reading up a lot on the movie and the movie seems to have like pretty positive reactions. And the criticisms of the movie were mostly that just that like it's media satire really wasn't like super sharp. Like it was a little sure. thin, like broad, I guess if they felt like low hanging fruit of like the actual target of its critique, which is funny, right? Because it almost feels like I can see people why they would say that back then, but it almost feels 20 years ahead of its time with like, people on Instagram, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, 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 I kept saying to myself, is she the first live streamer? Like, did she <laughs> yeah. invent just constantly putting on an act? No, for real. And I also think That's that Gus point. Van Sant's style is anything but thin. Like, I think he is totally oh, yeah. committed to this film as like a, just a total trash, like true crime lifetime yeah, movie. It's, it, it, it has, has a camp and absurdity to it that I completely did not expect that, you know, I think says something about the idea of news as entertainment. I mean, this movie is so funny and so yeah. entertaining <laughs> yeah. that, you know, I I feel like he almost implicates an audience who you, you kind of like watching Nicole Kidman. You're kind of like, oh, yeah. she's such a great presence. And I feel like there's something in that where he's implicating you as an audience member being like, well, that's what she's going for. Like right. she, like you're, 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 buying you're, you're, you're ascribing to her worldview by being yeah. like, yeah, she's doing some really shitty things, but I kind of like watching. Yeah, you're buying what she's selling right now. Exactly, magnetic is a great word to put it. Mm -hmm. Um, How about um? How about the streak Gus Van Sant went on though? I mean, I was looking at it. Literally went um, my own private Idaho. This, what else? I I think his Psycho is interesting. I know it's not a good movie, but (laughs) but then and Goodwill Hunting, which yeah. I'm a mass hole, right? So I love Goodwill Hunting, which again I know perhaps doesn't age well, but. That's still an an incredible streak for him. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's unreal. Well, and I mean, I, I found it funny reading about this that uh, Goodwill Hunting got made because of this movie. Really? Uh, specifically because... Was it just because it did well? or did Well, no, he, he was um, doing auditions for the young kids. Okay. And he auditioned Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, and Casey Affleck for, all, for playing the character that Casey Affleck eventually plays in the film. Oh, wow. And by doing that, he gave it to Casey, uh, rightfully so, I think, and specifically because of one yeah. thing that I've always preferred Casey over the other two for, that he's like, he actually does have a real deal Boston accent still and, yeah. and, and is kind of he, grimier also, and dirtier. beautiful. I love it, yeah. He's just scrappy, too. I mean, and because yeah. that's what they said Van Sant saw is Casey Affleck has never lost his edge and I, and you know, n- not to get into other stuff out, <laughs> yeah. outside. We'll, we'll just talk about but, him as an actor right now, <laughs> right? Right. But at least on screen, right? You buy him as a street guy, like even yeah. in the town. Ben Affleck, you're like, I'm watching Ben Affleck. Gone, baby, gone. <laughs> yeah. You're like, uh, you know, Casey. One of the most looks genius like moves. Detective. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. One of the genius moves of Gone Baby Gone is the fact that Ben Affleck did not cast himself. I can almost tell yeah. that he wanted to cast For himself, real, dude. and he held back on it and cast <laughs> his brother, brother, who was way better <laughs> yeah. uh, in every way for that role. Um, but also, yeah, the, yeah, the th- because. Then you get Live By Night, which even I <laughs> thought was a disaster. The biggest Ben Affleck apologist on the planet. Even <laughs> even I threw my hands up in disgust at that movie. Yeah, I still haven't seen it. I've I heard was like, things, Ben, though. when you started directing, you knew your lesson. You didn't cast yourself. And then he, and just, then he just wiped that all away. I'm doing it all away. But the thing about it is meeting all three of those actors, Casey, after the film, brought Gus Van Sant literally handed to him the screenplay for Goodwill Hunting that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck wrote. Oh, that's and then, how they hooked and then, it up? And then he directed it. Wow, that's so, incredible. That, so and, yeah. and, I th- and I think that dirtbag Harvey Weinstein didn't want Gus Van Sant and kept trying to get them to do it without him. And oh, one shit. of their contingencies was it had to be Van Sant who did it. Hell yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and, they didn't, and they didn't listen to Weinstein, <laughs> yeah. so very happy right. about that. <laughs> <laughs> but returning back to To Die For here real quick, the thing that I think, again, really struck me about this film has to be the fact that Nicole Kidman's performance is like nuclear, like like yeah. galaxy brain my, shit. My, my, yeah. my first note is just Nicole Kidman is a star, yeah. which sounds so stupid to say, <laughs> but... But I tried to picture myself in 1995 seeing this, and she comes on the screen, and you're like, oh, this is the most famous woman on the planet. Yeah, yeah. She's absolutely like electric right away. I And I'm not someone that's seen too much Kidman, so mm-hmm. she's never been, uh, you know, I knew she was talented, but I just never got into her. To see this film, I totally understand her, her hype now. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it also seemed like this was going to kind of lead into her role when... Uh, she later on did that role with uh, Tom Cruise and Stanley Kubrick, right? Yeah, Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. She did very it like three or four years later, I think. Yeah, very hypersexual. It's like a darker favorite. version in a sense. Yeah, no, exactly. She was doing some really interesting work, and I think mm-hmm. that... Also, uh, she's good in Batman, I'll just say it. I mean, she well, is. She got the she, role of a lifetime for Batman, or maybe she made it into the role of a lifetime. She's in Batman Forever, and it's incredible because her only characteristic is she just really wants to fuck Batman. Like, she's so yeah, horny she's for Batman. Yeah, she's just super horny That's literally her character. She, like, he, the, 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 the rubber, like, moves past her, and she's like, oh, oh, my God. And she's and she on constantly in those nightgowns. Yeah. Because she's a star. She's a star. She just is. Absolutely. No, and, and, and I think that she's like incredibly performative here in a way 
that you know you could tell that she latched on to this character yeah um and i mean again this the, this character is really fascinating where yeah you know she she's always kind of blurring together you know her own goals and desires with like this you know kind of this understandably um determined personality that you feel like you know you watch that you're like that person's got it going on they got it together yeah um but she just she takes it to that next level (laughs) where she's like and and it is so funny i didn't realize it until we were mentioning it how small scale it actually is because like again you you imagine this movie and you imagine her like in little hope new hampshire which is a hysterical gag exactly like there's another version of this movie where she's like trying to become like ceo of a company and it's like this weird like house of cards thing where she's maneuvering behind the scenes and fucking people People's lives yeah, up but on like this epic scale. Small yeah. townspeople, and <laughs> she's just ruining all of their lives. Yeah, yeah it, that, it, that's just Michael Clayton uh, focus on Tilda Swinton. Is <laughs> is just the, the, exactly. the serious version of this movie. Yeah, no, exactly. And I, I do think that like the comedy bent that they took with this is like a huge reason of, of of why it works. And I mean, like I love the scenes where like she's going to the broadcasting conference and mm-hmm. she's, she starts just immediately like being like, OK, what do professional broadcasters talk about? And she starts picking up literal lines that people are saying to each other and uh, basically just trying to um also be a magnet in the room she tries yeah, to stand I, out she's always in these like just these amazingly glorious outfits with her huge blonde hair yeah. um she's she's like dancing she, around she looks everyone. like uh, jessica rabbit in this i mean she For real. she literally looks like a pinup come to life and i think also too with i don't want to psychoanalyze nicole kidman too much but my <laughs> my assumption is is sort of part of what she saw in this character is Nicole Kidman as was, you know, coming up as an actress, I think learned how to manipulate people who were just, you know, trying to use her for her looks. And and sort of the character does the same thing in this movie, right? right. I mean, she yeah. just perfectly knows she how to She leads into people leering at her and see, and uses it to her advantage. Right. Yeah. yeah. T- she sees how the world works unfortunately yeah. and uh, just goes with it. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and in a way, too, I'd say this, and even A Perfect Murder are both low-key one of my other favorite genres of movies, which is a con man movie. You know, they both sort mm-hmm. of involve these people who are just so good at being chameleons. Um, very sort of like uh, Mr. Ripley-esque uh, in this right. for me, of how she redeploys people's lines later in the movie. That's one of my absolute favorite yeah. scenes. When, when she hears that line at the conference... Um, I forget, I think he says the line where it's like TV is bringing our homes into the world and bringing the world into our homes. And he says that at like this, like, you know, this big old, again, it it sounds like a, a fake, uh, like a, a hollow corporate Yeah, tagline, exactly, that someone's giving at a conference. And then she says it on an interpersonal level in a job interview, but she delivers it with so much more conviction and, like, around this constructed persona of this go-getter that she takes that guy by storm. I mean, a huge part of it is obviously she looks amazing, but then also she delivers it with real conviction as if, like, she completely like it's something she believes in like it's an ideology almost and she says it to this guy who's like a two-person like news broadcast station (laughs) where he's like spilling food on himself he's played by like the the guy from jurassic park yeah yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) and and he's just blown away like that line which should have just been like this old guy like 
you know, saying some bullshit at a conference, and he hears that, and he's like, it's the word of God now, all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, and, and watching that transition television. and how she does that, and, you know, the amount of, like, actual, you know, construction and creativity she has to implement to do that, yeah. um, it's it, it's amazing to see. And, and you can see um, her pursuit of this, like, TV self-actualization. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also I mean, we get fed the, all this she's stuff. She's the most confident of anyone... Oh yeah, I've ever seen. She's got confidence oozing out of her pores. <laughs> yeah, and we get all those uh, amazing asides where she gets to address the camera directly. And again, she's putting on a performance for even Gus Van Sant's camera, which yeah, is like yeah. just another layer of it. This like this mockumentary aspect that they're doing, where everyone's kind of talking in a bit of a non-linear way, like kind of about her. And again, because That's even even scenes that don't have her, they're talking about her. She yeah, is like she's, part of. She's yeah, like she's the, the motivating. Center center of everything that happens in this movie and what i love too is the the fact like you know the way that they have uh each character talk about her they're always in this very natural environment so they're like where where they would feel comfortable you know the the sisters at the ice rink uh uh, i think the father's at his home things like that and then um and then you go to her and she's just in this white room where it's just you know (laughs) staring into your soul with those blue eyes you're like is, is she in the um the TV room from the Willy Wonka movie. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's too white. It's, it's almost too white. Yeah. I uh, thought they were almost going to go into like a, a more, cause I don't know if it'd necessarily be a cliche in the nineties. I thought they was going to like zoom out and she'd be in this white padded room or some shit, like pretending she was on the news or something like that. It ends up, she has a lot more power, but. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, well, the, the, uh, I guarantee you that Margot Robbie just watch this movie on a loop before doing <laughs> yeah. it. Because even to the indictments of the audience, right? Where she's mm-hmm. like, you know, this is what you wanted to see. Yeah. And, and that's when Nicole Kim, she's, she's doing this too, right? She's like, listen, this is America. It's, it's the best line in the movie. You're, you're not anybody in America unless you're on TV. She said that in 1995. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that is, that is, now ahead of its time as far as i'm concerned i yeah, also I love mean, how she adds to she's like and not only that but it makes you a better person i love that <laughs> yeah. well, because, because she's like on tv is where we learn about who we really are and because like what's the point of doing anything worthwhile if nobody's watching and yeah and if you're watching that makes you a better <laughs> it person. just makes you a better person yeah so some some heavy she's king always of growing too in a yeah. way Again, TV has, like, uh, superseded, like, morality. That's what she means yeah. by a good person at yeah. that point, you yeah. know? Um, which is uh, amazing because you pick up with this character, and she's already who she is. We get hints at her background that, you know, she grew up in, you know, like a like a wealthy family, and she grew up watching a lot of TV, and, you know, where, again, TV is this constructed thing that she just consumed, and she realized, I want to be that giant monster that people consume. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and th- that was her dream. Um, yeah. and, and also, she wants her life to be almost constructed like a television show would be, where it's like you know, there's no imperfections. As mm. soon as someone says no to her, we know what happens. There's that great shot of her like hyper focusing in on Matt Dillon, where it yeah. just goes into that kind of uh, that. She's black like the circle. Terminator. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. She, lo- <laughs> it's like the if someone says no to her, she looks like a, a robot that's malfunctioning and the kill bill sirens are going off <laughs> yeah exactly you can see her eye twitch it's great <laughs> face acting because because in so many times in this movie you see like at the end when liddy comes to try and talk to her after um uh 
uh, Matt Dillon's been killed, you you briefly see like the facade slip away, mm-hmm. and then the the real sort of murderous Kidman comes out, and then she quickly pulls it back together. It's it's a really phenomenal performance. Yeah, and I mean, uh, she spends large portions of the movie always performing in front of people. Um, I was thinking specifically, because as we get into maybe some of the plot stuff for people who haven't seen it, uh, she starts doing a documentary about young children, about high schoolers. Yeah. And she wants to take a bit of like a gritty, like, what are the kids feeling? And she she's pretending like she's... Uh, she's got like the same thesis of like Harmony Corinne, but like (laughs) really she's, you know, she's like a corporate TV broadcaster wannabe, uh, who's just taking her own camera around, which apparently by the way, Nicole Kidman did shoot all the video footage of the kids in character and everything. That's cool. So, um, Oh really? Yeah. 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 Uh, that feels like something Van Sant would do. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to experiment with what Nicole Kidman's character with taking over the cam, like literally, she takes over the camera. Like, come oh, on, yeah. you can't get more uh, like on the nose than that. Um, she, she really does remind me a lot of De Niro in in the King of Comedy. In this, right. I mean, that the whole sort of the just won't take no for an answer, the blind confidence. Because I love too how she how she doesn't really she's trying to process the information at the on her honeymoon at the uh, conference. And she just doesn't understand the joke that the woman wrote the note, her, that she wrote the note herself, but she, she knows it's important. So she's like, I don't really get it, but I want to file this away for later. <laughs> yeah, where, it, where, where it was like someone was using her, um, again, someone using their looks and their sexual prowess as yeah. a, uh, you know, hierarchy climbing a corporate climbing uh tactic and she 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 registers that and she's just like oh this is an industry run by men so i do have you know i have different tools that i could apply to them And, and she learns that and then yeah you can always see her constantly you know picking up information and regurgitating it or reusing it or learning from it um and becoming a better manipulator out of it and eventually she does use sex as a you know weaponizing it oh yeah uh against uh underage boys in school yeah. um joaquin phoenix by the way probably the second best performance in this movie mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a cast in this yeah, movie unbelievable also, nicole kidman joaquin phoenix casey affleck matt dillon and then pretty much every other minor role is like a great character actor too david cronenberg plays the mobster (laughs) yeah yeah i mean literally nothing has ever hit my quadrant of interest more than david cronenberg as a mob hitman in a gus van sant movie i mean that's pretty much that just hit it all that's they they, they focus grouped your ass (laughs) (laughs) seriously yeah He was like, look, look, I, I like your movie, but I've got some notes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I need to see David Cronenberg. And he's great, too. Oh, he, yeah. You, you totally buy him. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's, he's, as he's like very a sort creepy. Of, very sort of David Lynch-esque. Very sort of like Frank Booth. Yeah, the kind of character yeah. who you can imagine there's a life outside of the uh, movie that you've seen them in. Yeah. Um, Ooh, yeah, and I mean, these two things end up co- coalescing because she she marries Matt Dillon because his 
uh, family owns an Italian restaurant and ever, everyone makes jokes about how they're, you know, connected to the mob and they're like, Hey, that's a stereotype. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah. then she ends up, she ends up convincing Casey Affleck and, um, Joaquin Phoenix and a bunch of their sort of like, you know, uh, poorer high school students in the community, um, to murder her husband played by Matt Dillon because he ends up being like, look, you need to stop spending time on this, you know, mission to uh, become the best weather woman. And you need to instead, you know, start focus. We should start a family. We should do yeah. other kinds of things. And she's like that. We'll move to California. We'll start a television show. Yeah. All she was that. like, that cannot happen. I have these goals that don't include you. And so she manipulates the kids into murdering, um, Matt Matt Dillon. Yeah, um, how about the conversation with with Matt Dillon's mother too by the pool, where the mother's asking her if they have any plans for kids anytime soon, and Nicole Kidman says something to the effect of, "Well, you know, what if I get called? What if I'm in New York and I get called away on assignment to a royal wedding or a war zone?" And the mother's <laughs> yeah. looking at her like, "What planet are you on?" It's like you've done the weather once. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't your job technically secretary at the cable station? Yeah, <laughs> yeah and she's like, I'm going to go cover Princess Diana's funeral. I can't have a baby. It's it's like insane. She's amazing. Yeah. And, and Nicole Kidman sells it too, which is the funniest thing. Like she she is so has so much conviction for this mission, despite the fact that we are seeing it on, on, on such a small scale. Um, and this persona that she sort of like constructed around it and how that persona is going to take priority over, you know, real life relationships and uh, obviously eventually just human just life. Human life, yeah. <laughs> um, and One of the best uh, moments is when uh, Phoenix and her in the car and it's when she's like at the Amazing, last second convincing yeah. him to kill him. And it, it almost seems like she manipulates him in such a way that he comes he can, up with the idea. Right. Exactly. She, and she's, then instantly yeah. she's like, Oh, I love this song. And then just dances all just like nice and, and pretty like uh, to sweet home Alabama. Yeah, in the the moment they just conceptualized killing her husband. It was just like, yeah, well girl. she got her way. Right. So she could right. sell him. It was, she got her way. And then, yeah, and well then we well, yes, and she's rewarding him. It's like a case of, again, she was literally, I mean, eventually later on after, she literally is using sex yeah. as a tease and reward yeah. uh, for and Joaquin Phoenix. you see it Phoenix. actively. Like, yeah. it's, it's, essentially, she's doing something to him, and uh, <laughs> and as that's happening, she's you you see her stop and start based on getting answers from him. So he's, it's not, like, she's not even trying to hide it at one well, point. Well, no, and but the funniest thing is, is she never says it, is she always just goes... She like poses questions to him and That's, has him always come up with the answer, but she's she's leading him to those answers. Right. Is the idea. And those answers right. are you're gonna kill my husband for me. Yeah. yeah she invented yeah. Inception. Yeah. Inception. <laughs> yeah. She planted the idea. She is Tom Hardy in Inception. She's just playing a million different roles and seducing everybody and being like, Oh, you wanna kill my husband. That's great. And 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 poor Joaquin Phoenix in this movie, man. What a what a tragic oh, performance. Just, just, just the sweetest, stupidest, horniest <laughs> teenager of yeah, all time. <laughs> and dude, that the end line where he's just like, I wait every night to go to sleep because he dreams of her. And yeah. that's his happiest moment now is when oh. he goes to bed. It's like the dark who like straight up pro abused profoundly him. Upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. Profoundly oh, yeah, upsetting. Dude, I was like, literally in my notes, I just wrote Jesus. Like it was just like one of those that is... That's dark. My well, yeah, God. and it's funny because it starts out as like comedy where he's yeah. watching the Weather Network 
where she's it really does take a tragic turn where, for where, everybody where she's <laughs> on the weather and he's like you know what i never cared about the weather until she was there and for some reason he can't piece together it's because she's really hot dude like that's yeah, why you yeah, care about like, the weather now care, it's not like you're super into the weather now or something <laughs> but, but it, the 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 tone right is really a tight uh, a tightrope that yeah. van sant walks pretty beautifully because yeah. it does end on so dark but <laughs> yeah. with that bizarre sort of Coen Brothers-esque optimism of That's a good with, with, with Matt Dillon's sister just skating on the pond where Nicole Kidman's Poetic. frozen. Well, yeah. You know, yeah, where she's literally frozen, like where, frozen. Where, where David Cronenberg's mob hitman who was hired by yeah. her husband's family. And to I'm pretty sure they break the fourth wall and have the sister look at you and smile. So, you know, yeah. that it's kind of like a wink, wink. I'm skating on this bitch. You know, like it's 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 hilarious. Yeah, there, There's something really and grim <laughs> and cynical about the film that the film only reveals to you slowly over time yeah. because the tone just it, it totally supersedes it. Like it's funny. It's absurd. Because um, it shit, almost we, ends with. With like a Looney Tunes, like, well, that's all, folks. Yeah, and we'd be remiss not to mention the like uh, really bright and like carnival esque Danny Elfman score that's like straight out of yeah. Batman Returns. Also, can I mention <laughs> okay, the so absolute genius of going back and forth between orchestral and metal, especially yeah. in the opening credits? <laughs> I was losing my shit. I couldn't even believe it. He was doing it seamlessly, it was unbelievable. Thank you for bringing up the Danny Elfman score, though, because I knew it had to be him. My second note yeah. is literally young Tim, Ver- young Tim Burton vibes. Yeah, because absolutely. It, it feels like Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, almost. dude, I can't. I ex- that's exactly what I put in my notes. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. I I had that same kind of vibe. It, yeah, that's yeah, that's cool. No, exactly. And and, and and the score is so good. I mean, and yeah. and totally makes because if you. If you don't have that sort of weird Danny Elfman energy, the movie is much darker, I think, from the get-go. I, I agree 100%. He really brings this almost like whimsical tone to all this dark shit that's going yeah, on well, around do, it. Do you know what I kind of felt? I kind of felt it was a case of, again, because she's the center of so much of the movie and this movie is crafted around this persona she constructed, I took it as like... Again, I, I referred to earlier Nicole Kidman as perhaps the auteur of this film, but really I think it's because her character, who she so vividly represents, really takes over the film. That she's yeah. she's talking to you, she's telling showing us what, you know, we want to see. At one point she's literally the person filming some of the stuff that we're seeing. <laughs> so for me, that music was like again another sense of like this performatively bright and cheery and charism and charisma that she just kind of you know, has and uh, weaponizes against people. And mm-hmm. then the actual, you know, horrific circumstances of what those things, you know, bring, um, you know, because of her own need to, um, I, I mean, I guess get a form of surface level success is the idea. Yeah. Because she doesn't need the money. No, she, yeah, she seems to be set. She's I mean, super Matt wealthy. And, and clearly she doesn't think highly of all the poor no, kids that she's she manipulating. Yeah. She, she, she wants that Patreon dollars. That's what she wants. She wants. She wants retweets and likes. I feel that. I I definitely feel that. Uh, I'll I'll tell you though. One one of the one of the saddest parts of this movie to me is the the fact that uh, Allison Foland, who plays uh, Lydia, didn't have a bigger career. She's fantastic in this, and I'm looking at her IMDb, and she never really went on to do anything. Yeah, she she plays the young girl that hangs out with. The young, the right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. She's sort of Joaquin Phoenix and um, Casey Affleck's friend. Yeah, she's great. 
she shares a lot of really good scenes just one-on-one with Kidman. And, and she's in that scene where Kidman great. like breaks down completely and just starts saying like, shut the fuck up. You're going to fuck this up for me. It's yeah, when that, she's in that, the wire. That's one of the darkest moments is when she just turns off yeah, the personality com- for a which second and shows you who she is. Which you've seen the whole film. Yeah. So that moment is really just like, oh, here she is totally unfiltered. Okay. Well, and, and what's so interesting <laughs> is that, you know, she, they all clearly latch on to her because again, like they're, you know, the kid's. The kids are a little bit slower. Yeah. Um, yeah. To, to, to put it mildly. Yes. Um, and she's very clearly manipulating them. But they also, you know, there are in some ways, uh, ways that she herself is kind of slow. So I feel like they see her as like a model of like where they could go and get out sure. of their own. Yeah. But the, the main difference there is she started wealthy. They did not start wealthy. And uh, that ends up being a huge divide in that big conversation where she says, I'm going to tell them what you did. And she says... I went to, I went to, I have like a degree. I come from a nice family. Yeah. You guys are like cousin fuckers or whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, who do you think that they're going to believe? Meanwhile, she's literally got a fucking wire on her for the cops. The cops, the right. cut back to the cops in the car who are like, they can't, they are stunned that she's just <laughs> she's saying this. Just this terrible person. I know, the, how good are the cops? That's yeah. such great casting. Yeah. And, and um, it, it's just so funny. Like, they just can't believe how easy it was to get her on cameras or on recording say saying yeah. this shit. They're like, she's just saying her master plan, like, on camera. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and shout out to Michael Raspoli, who is uh, Jackie April in The Sopranos and plays one of the head detectives. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, nice. Who, who is an all-time uh, character actor favorite of mine and has been turning in phenomenal work on The Deuce. For two straight seasons. Oh, I haven't started watching the Deuce yet, but I'm going to be doing that in the near future, I think. Oh, it's great. It's really good. It's <laughs> I, I big time recommend. Sweet. All right. Well, I think we're going to enter the reductive rating round and final statements here, which is if there's you know if there's anything you haven't had a chance to, to say yet, a scene or you know something you want, this is the time to do it. I know I got a couple I'm going to hit, and also where you give your uh, your your rating, a number between one and one and five. For me, this is like a pretty damn uh high four yeah um i, uh, I think, absolutely. I, absolutely I i think for the reasons uh we've already said that you know this is a a a pretty amazingly entertaining satire as well as nicole kidman is absolutely phenomenal uh in in the film uh i love 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 the bit where she's going to her own husband's funeral and she puts a fucking stereo on the coffin (laughs) and blasts all by myself (laughs) yeah yeah i I had that in my notes as well just her ripping all by myself and the cut the reaction shots to the parents trying to figure out what the fuck is happening oh yeah just is hysterical and to see her too in the in the middle of it all just completely stone-faced like this is such a this is serious moment. I'm giving such a great performance. Yeah. Everyone and feels everyone for me and how alone I am. What the fuck? <laughs> Little squint faces. Oh, it's that is comedy gold. Yeah, and all of the asides that she has where she's talking about I mean, at, at one point the detectives say that they are investigating, you know, children that she was documenting as possible suspects. Um, and she's like, It boggles one with disbelief. My my documentary would be a marketable commodity if the, the kids did it. And it's like, okay, well, you literally manipulated the kids to do it. Yeah. Um but for for me, what really stood out is just again this 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 deeply constructed persona of this character, and that Nicole Kidman so you know vividly latched onto and realized in this pursuit of you know broadcast self actualization. Um, 
and how it seems that like TV in its own way and the way that she consumes images has almost like trained her to do this and that yeah. this is what success looks like. Um, and it really stood out to me because, um, I mean, as Nick mentioned at the at the top, how, it, you know, uh, it, it seems like a, almost a precursor to social media and Instagram and mm-hmm. stuff like this. Yeah. And I, I thought back actually to the, a thing. Do, oh. do you remember the, the video where it's, the, it's it's some grandkid lip syncing to Justin Bieber's baby, like in front of his grandfather's deathbed in the hospital. <laughs> do you do. know what I'm? Do you know what I'm talking about? That, that so Nicole Kidman blasting all by myself at the funeral. That's exactly that what that video. is. <laughs> no, ab- ab- absolutely, and and I think that there is something unique about how you know uh, in this film she has to pursue broadcasting to do that, whereas people don't have to pursue broadcasting That's to get their true. shit out there anymore. This is something she would be the top Instagrammer, right? Oh, now. exactly. 100%. She would be. She would I, absolutely I be a fucking influencer. It's, it's, she would have went to Fire Festival. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Coachella every year. She only had an iPhone and one of those big uh, lights that people use for selfies. Now she would have been fine. She didn't. She wouldn't have had to kill uh yeah uh, her husband yeah that's the beauty the the outlet now would have actually allowed her to just be the superficial crazy person she is and without the murdering <laughs> you know <laughs> well th- this is funny this was actually something that i mean um uh comedian and i guess i have to call him a filmmaker now bo burnham once pointed oh, out nice. when he was doing uh inspiration for the movie eighth grade that he did was the idea that you know young people have now been gifted tools that people used to have to pursue, you know, industries to get into. Yeah. And, but, but as a result, the tools have basically said, why doesn't everyone perform at each other all the fucking time? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I thought that it was really interesting and to see this idea in fucking that. 1995 and explored inside more traditional corporate structures where someone, you know, is just gleefully, psychotically climbing that ladder at the expense um, of others. And this I mean, film this really hits that satire. The E-network. It, yes. inv- it invented like the Kardashians too. It's she in in Nicole Kidman's dream world in this movie. She just has the Truman Show all the time. Yeah, yeah. she she, yeah. she she yearns for the Truman yeah. Show where yeah. everyone's watching her. When the point of that movie is that he's obviously trying to escape he this does not this, want that. this this hollow reality where you know he can't get real relationships yeah. out of it. You but know, she would flourish. Oh yeah. So. She was made for it. But yeah, so anyway, yeah, that's why this, this for me, I think it hits that point really, really hard. And also, I think Gus Van Sant's, you know, formal control over this, uh, walking that, as Nick pointed out, that really thin line between, you know, something grim and cynical um, and, uh, you know, uh, eventually murderous <laughs> yeah. uh, and, you know, packaging it in something lighter and something more fun um, in the same way that Nicole Kidman is herself. Again, she is, you know, this sort of, um, uh, you know, vicious character bottled up inside something that is, you know, much more surface and much more performative. And I think that his film actually does the same thing that the character does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Shout out Gus Van Sant. What a king. Yeah. We, yeah. We, we love Gus Van Sant, don't we, folks? Yeah. I can't believe I've never even really heard of this movie, to be honest. I, is it, uh, it? It should be a higher rated Gus Van like Sant movie for absolutely, sure. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what's, like, fu- what's funny to me is I remember back in the day of video stores that this was a movie that the cover was sort of a very sultry picture of Kidman, which I think was used as the poster and was always sort of positioned as like a very, like probably closer to porn, honestly was how they made it look. And so to, to finally watch this, it's like, Oh, this movie's hysterical. Like this is, this is a comedy. 
Yeah. This is yeah. this yeah. this, this is you know it makes sense that um, Reese Witherspoon said this was one of her biggest influences for election. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. For Tracy Fleck. Yeah, I mean 100%. it's that same cool. sort of um, nihilistic uh, comedy. For yeah. sure. Uh, um, for you though, Jamie. I'm gonna give it a four out of five as well. It was a very high one. I I enjoyed this movie uh, thoroughly from beginning beginning to end. Uh, just a couple little moments I liked that that uh, Van Sant did. Um, one was one I mentioned already that kind of that zoom in focus on Matt Dillon when she uh, kind of like what you said becomes the Terminator in a way after she's told yeah, no that, for the first time. That attention that ruled. To, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was great. I loved getting into her her mindset like that. She's hyper focused on getting rid of him now. Uh, and then another awesome little uh, filmmaking moment was when she was waiting for the uh, the teenagers to come to her house and oh. she just does a circle in the living room and as that happens it goes from day to night as oh, if yeah, she's right. so once again just so Consumed focused on the plan that, yeah, that exactly. she's she's going to sit here until she can enact the next step of that plan and that's just the attention it's, to detail there is it's awesome well and actually you cool. just reminded me of the one thing I forgot to mention which sure. I don't know how I forgot to mention cuz Nick actually tweeted out an image of this that I thought was like, <laughs> my favorite part of the fucking movie is the actual scene where they kill Matt Dillon yeah, and oh, she's because, right like, on because TV. That, when when she is right. she is marking her alibi by d- doing the weather, but she's also doing the weather with like that look, that determined look in her eyes yeah. that everyone can see. And just to to add that little darkness to to shout out the first year anniversary yeah. between them, and then go night, honey. Yeah. The moment he gets shot in the head, it's just ice like, cold. Oh, ice yeah, cold. ice cold. Oh, yeah. Exactly. But, the, but that image of her Unreal. face on the TV in the background as Casey Affleck and Joaquin Phoenix are in the house, like pointing the gun at Matt Dillon, the way that he composes that shot to have her face and her wildly determined eyes. Uh, eventually, the mm. TV, it, this, this shot doesn't even make sense for broadcast television. It's a literal extreme <laughs> yeah. close up of her eyes. Yeah, you're like, why is this camera? Which I yeah. love that. I because, love those choices. Too. Because I that, love that, the, yeah, exactly. the aesthetic choices in this movie. Movie. Like that's a so, heightened moment of like that doesn't make sense in the reality of broadcast television, but like you feel like that's what Joaquin Phoenix is feeling that yeah. she is like laser yeah. focused on him, like you have to do yeah. this. And do you know what it reminded me of? Fucking basic instinct. Oh yeah, because yes. because yeah. that that great scene where Michael Douglas is having the conversation with the cops uh, when they're about to interrogate her inside, um, and there is the shot of Sharon Stone on the TV in the background where they're yeah. about to interrogate her, hell and like, yeah. the, like she's in control, she's watching over what they're saying, what oh, they're hell doing. Yeah. I didn't even she, make that until now. That's it, awesome. And I remembered when we did Basic Instinct with Danny Bowes that we really highlighted we that, that shot about yeah. how in control she was of the situation, and they do that same shot here where she's literally controlling these people to murder her husband yeah that's awesome. and, and it's even more like emotional and even more you know like um uh i was gonna say like visceral dreamlike yeah. dreamlike that's a good way yeah to, well to. speaking of that too was the moment where they kind of do that again but now it's you're, you're in joaquin's head is when he's watching the the weather and then she starts saying hypersexualized stuff all of a sudden <laughs> oh, yeah. and they do that same thing where it's zooming in yeah, on that, her face. that was but, fantastic yeah, really so it's very cool like, yeah yeah it's like that satirical aspect and then we see it later when it's complete just dark and murderous so yeah i, I there's so much to this film i really didn't expect it to be uh yeah him, so him, him having a relationship with her tv personality is like kind of yeah. like him just really, being horny and then all of a sudden he's murdering someone yeah he yeah. was he was horny on main yeah. this is why he, <laughs> this is why you don't dm people because you end up in a murder plot exactly seriously get Um, out of those dms folks (laughs) but yeah i'm gonna give it a high four and yeah it was great yeah i mean i love this movie that's uh, i think 
definitely a high four for me as well. Um, I kept finding myself shouting only in America while watching this movie. (laughs) This, to me, is such sort of... People, it's that meme, right, where people are always saying, this is the movie we need now. Well, this actually is the movie we need now. Yeah. But Gus Van Sant was kind enough to make it for us in 1995. So um, I'll just run down the list of just some quick stuff. Um, Ben Affleck in Gone Girl has big-time Matt Dillon energy. (laughs) Yep. Uh, the I, I forget who says it, but whoever delivers the line, bonding sexually, so to speak, is so funny. And that's going to be a new go-to line for me. I, I think it's in reference to them on their honeymoon, but just the, the sort of matter-of-fact delivery of, well, they were bonding sexually, so to speak, was uh, hysterical. Um, we already mentioned... Emptiness. Well, yeah, it's like that one where he's like, uh, they, they tell Joaquin Phoenix that Casey Affleck said that, told the cops that his dick was bigger than his brain. And Joaquin oh, so Phoenix is proud. He's, he's like, like he, yeah, he, did right. he really say yeah, that? That's great. Word, That's great. Like, <laughs> said that? <laughs> and then the cop see, says even something like that wasn't like a compliment, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were like, he's saying yeah, you're a fucking moron yeah. and that you murdered. So like, he, he like, Joaquin Phoenix right does away. not understand the gravity of the situation. All he's he cares in at about all. is the sex with kids. It's just like, oh man, it's great. Oh, uh, so funny. But uh, uh, shout out David Cronenberg as a mob hitman. Absolutely, which we already hit. Um, also, big time shout out to Kurtwood Smith, uh, yeah. who you know from RoboCop. As yep. well as that '70s show, absolutely. Um, and Holland Taylor, the goat, um, who who could we forget is uh, a star making turn in countless movies, but always will love her in Legally Blonde. So mm-hmm. love love Holland Taylor. Shout out to them. Um, and uh, oh, the uh, I think the line that uh, Lydia says. Um, I think it's Lydia, but someone says, you know, this is just like a movie, but X rated on account of the sex stuff. Also great line. <laughs> yeah. Cause uh, and, and, and Lydia too, she's also the one who has the very like end of the movie where she gets the, I'm the one that's going to be famous now. Right, and, and, right, right. And, and, and Suzanne would like die if she knew, which, which was like, which is huge, right when she's huge. We just talked about it. Female trouble vibes where it was oh, like, yeah. where it has like infamy is its own kind of success. Yeah. Uh, by yeah. the end of the film. So, I'd also uh, like to say, I think uh, a bit of again, the this lady here. got a movie made out of a book written about her and then a movie made out of her. So, you know, maybe, yeah. she's, maybe they aren't wrong. I also think a bit of the, uh, the lesson here is at the end of this film is don't fuck with Italians. As yeah. Well, well yeah, so, that's, that's right. all, that's all, that's always the <laughs> that's lesson. That's just of a little, movie, you know, a little thing that yeah. we threw in there. <laughs> I, I also, I, I'm not sure I, I didn't do, good research so i'm not sure who edited this movie but whoever did uh one did just a great job in general but has a a absolute perfect sense of humor at least in my sensibilities and some of the cuts in this movie i thought were just so funny um we already talked about it was curtis clayton who also edited buffalo 66 and assassination of jesse james by the coward robert so so oh, so so he so he he knows what he's doing on the sticks, but the <laughs> the cut from I think when she's giving Joaquin Phoenix a blowjob, I believe, to um, Matt Dillon's parents putting up the "still going strong after one year" sign had <laughs> had me howling. Um, that is There's an all time cut, and and also too what you just said at the end of the movie. The, the cut of uh, Lydia saying she would just die if she knew this too. Literally Nicole Kidman frozen in ice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, where David Cronenberg just put her. <laughs> so is, good. Is, is too funny. Poetic. 
Um, Great. Shit. And and I think the last thing, which I said to you, Josh, was um, Nicole Kidman in this movie go on Red Scare. <laughs> yes. I think she would be a perfect guest. Absolutely. That reference means nothing to Jamie, but that's okay. We'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> you can explain after. Right. That, that that's like extremely online brain right there so yeah that's that that's how it goes yeah that's a <laughs> podcast that's had some controversy about being these like really performative rich white girls a little oh, bit so. i gotcha i gotcha <laughs> uh but i think that will wrap it up for to die for and i think we're going to be right back and we are going to be talking a perfect murder michael douglas i want half a million dollars tax-free just for walking away from her I said tax-free. I didn't say free. What's 500 grand for? Killing my wife. ironic title though right yeah Yeah, this doesn't go well (laughs) it's not not a perfect murder for sure a convoluted murder yeah Yeah. a a, a not great bob murder (laughs) all right vigos never look better though hire a real hitman next time murderer (laughs) i guess we'll just jump right into it all right we are back and we are talking a perfect murder you should leave that in (laughs) (laughs) yep we are uh we're back we're talking a perfect murder, which is a 1998 uh, American uh, crime thriller film with a, I mean, I guess a tiny bit of eroticism. Uh, I was going to say erotic. I mean, don't be afraid to put it in there. They're, <laughs> they're definitely leaning into it for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's a 90s movie and it does star Michael Douglas. So that's, you know, you're halfway there already. Yeah. Uh, and the film also though stars Gwyneth Paltrow and Vigo mortensen uh primarily in a uh, what is a uh a reimagining reinterpretation remake of one heard, yeah. alfred hitchcock film dial m <laughs> for murder uh, it's just funny that I'm this imagining. is but, uh, it's just funny that this is what ip was before movie studios realized they could do like comic book movies yeah Remake a Hitchcock movie. Yeah, yeah. It's like, (laughs) what do the people want? A a remake of a Hitchcock movie. But with like some, you know, a little bit of sexiness in there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, apparently the people did, right? I mean, that's why I think you got to call it an erotic thriller because it just makes it all the more insane that it had a budget of 60 million and then somehow made 128 million at the box office. If this comes out today, this makes probably 20 million. Yeah. I would guess, right? Yeah, I would agree. I don't oh, yeah. think it comes anywhere close to a hundred million at no. the box office, and it's a shame. I mean, really, the only things that do make it now are the franchise films. It's uh, you don't right. see many mid-tier films like this, right? Well, and, and I mean, they, let, you don't see them at all, let alone successful. Like the ones. only thing this had going for it was that it would be a remake of like you know a, a film that people like, but they didn't even right. use the same title, right? So no <laughs> one would really know. Like I didn't know until I started. Uh, they really just regurgitated where the plot. People were like, yeah, yeah. Because people started telling me that it was a uh, a Hitchcock 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 remake, but I didn't. Uh, I wouldn't have known if I just watched the movie. So this was before Shakespeare in Love, right? I think so. Yeah, because Gwyneth Paltrow is definitely in that sort of you know pre awards pocket, but where she was clearly people wanted her in stuff. Yeah. In- oh, do you know what? Same year as Shakespeare in Love. 
Wow, what a flex then by Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> that's epic. What a what a back to back then. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. No, yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, uh, this is really for, for me. This is Michael Douglas doing the same shit again. Uh, I mean, he's coming off Basic in- Instinct from '93, yeah. and then he did David Fincher's The Game in '97, in which he basically uh, lives in the exact same universe as this movie as a hedge fund <laughs> yeah, manager. P- potentially, is the same character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, like just before he An decided to murder sequel. his wife. You know, like like we imagine at the end of the game. You know, he he starts putting his life back on track. He decides to get married. He married Gwyneth Paltrow. Paltrow. Everything's great, (laughs) as we see until in the the future film, film. a perfect a perfect murder. His relationship is great. Everything's great about it. Yeah, that's the end of the movie. It's just it's two rich people. Uh, One's a hedge fund manager. One, I think uh, they never really explain where her money comes from, but she seemingly has you know a giant trust fund that's even worth more than Michael Douglas's character's hedge fund. It's funny that you say that. And then you do this the the uh, the stinger where she sees Vigo right at the very end. That's the post credit sequence. God damn, that's, that's, a, that's a hot Kurt Cobain looking motherfucker over there. <laughs> it's funny that you do say the whole, like, we were just a successful rich couple or whatever, because yeah. at the end he has that line where he says, uh, we're just another married couple just trying to work things out yeah. <laughs> after she finds out everything just he's been plotting to do. with millions and millions of dollars yeah. and that, that, that we would be willing good. to kill Look, each I'm other for. I'm sorry I tried to murder you. It's just a rough patch. <laughs> we'll work around it. <laughs> yeah, 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 and they're living in the most preposterous apartment I've oh ever my seen. Too. God, yeah, it's, it's an apartment. Like, yeah, it, it literally looks like his house in the game, which is like a literal it seems mansion like it's three on the floors. outskirts. Yeah, yeah. Yet, yet they're you can tell that they're you know on like in an you know a condo building. Yet, you yeah. know, it's just like it's the size somehow of a mansion. There's their condo. <laughs> You're just like, how is this possible? It's ridiculous. Also, also how about the um. The guy who was famous for playing uh, Poirot. That has to be an inside joke, right? Or maybe even not even that inside as the as the detective. Uh, oh, yeah. The guy. Uh, 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 shit, what's the actor's name? I Did- think David Suchit. I yes. think I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but he that's what he was famous for was playing the world's greatest detective. And, and they have him essentially being a, a much sharper uh, detective than I believe most NYPD detectives to be. Um, <laughs> yeah. And also too, how about, you know, pre nine 11, they actually Hollywood let a, um, a Muslim or a Muslim character be a good guy. I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I couldn't, couldn't do that anymore. Well, it's used as like a bit of connection between him and Gwyneth Paltrow, right? Who is some sort of like assistant for the U S representative at the UN. Yeah, so like it her, happens that she speaks the yeah, language as well. Yeah. Well, because I think that's yeah. part of being at the UN yeah. is you're trying to work out deals with other people. So she's she, literally the one like compassionate person in the movie. He's like the one like human being who doesn't want something from Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I they was, like immediately, like she, she takes an interest in his family life and, you know, and, I do think it's interesting where things eventually go or were su- supposed to go with, mm-hmm. with this whole thing. Uh, because you're, you're right that Gwyneth is like, you know, like the, you know, the, the one sort of character who is kind of, you know, in the, you know, being, uh, she, she seems very, I would say sincere. 
okay, in yeah. a lot of the actions that she's partaking in. Yeah. Whereas everyone on either side of her, Michael Douglas and Viggo Mortensen in particular, have alternative alternative motives basically for everything. Yeah, so, that like they're with doing. Vito, like because with Douglas, it's like okay, you're a piece of shit. With Vito, it's like he's trying to convince himself that he's not a piece of shit. And uh, it, it, but you know what I'm trying to say? Because it's like. He's, yeah, he's Vigo's still claiming almost that he has love for her, but he still sets right. it up in a way that he could get the money and have <laughs> her killed. It's just he's not going to personally do it. Yeah, it, you know, it's he, he's definitely fighting some demons there. He was like, I couldn't do it because I loved her, but I could <laughs> hire someone to do it. <laughs> I still need that gr- hundred grand, baby. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess for anyone who hasn't seen the film, because uh, I actually hadn't heard of the film before um, Nick brought it on, but I was very glad to get a chance to see it. Yeah, um, um, this is weirdly one of my mom's favorite movies, so <laughs> this is how I know about it. I, like see, this the, DVD was always floating around our house growing up. This seems like a um, movie that my mom would like too. So I, this, this movie's yeah. got mom energy for sure (laughs) this has big time like glass of white wine energy for sure (laughs) absolutely um but also how about shout out to vigo for apparently almost all those paintings he he did himself yep in in the studio yep uh and the uh speaking of which i guess we should the plot here vigo mortensen con man but also pretty good painter (laughs) <laughs> yeah. uh, and I, I find that's fun that's one of the funniest parts of the movie is when he uh michael douglas who approaches him and he immediately has already done the research and knows that he's a con man and that he's just he attaches himself to rich women to try and con his way into their into their lives and into their money and then he leaves yeah. um but he immediately approaches her and he's like wow or approaches vigo and he's like wow i actually understand why you're good at what you do because like you actually don't have a bad brush hand like your paintings are pretty pretty right. good for yeah. a guy who's faking and being like a painter too, he even says that he has anger anger that's controlled so yep. it kind of would lead to like his personality and what he's doing behind the scenes and all yeah, that. Yeah, and that he and that he's a he's a he's a trash. I mean, I love yeah. the bit that he describes his paintings. It describes the movie where he's like, "Your your, like, your paintings are like trashy, like a king of trash or something yeah. like that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like very very uh, Basquiat wannabe. He's just like dunking on Vigo, but <laughs> they they don't look bad for a guy who learned to paint in in prison ostensibly right because yeah, that's, 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 that's what, he what says, they say for sure. yeah he learned to paint in prison i was like well you know they must have had at least a couple like books in there then because <laughs> these do look pretty good yeah uh, no for real and, and and vigo's trying to con his way into gwyneth paltrow's um vicinity who is married to michael douglas's uh sort of like millionaire industrialist you know head hedge fund manager guy mm-hmm. um and essentially just gordon gecko Again. Yes, the same guy. Oh, yeah. Again, basically <laughs> yeah. from 89 to like, what, 2000, he played the same character. Yeah. And it's great. Rich dick. It, it's, it's almost it, great it's every the time. Hair. It, yeah. It's the hair has big time cocaine energy. And he just, <laughs> you know, no one sort of personified that like slimy, you know, you feel like he's, she should always be wearing suspenders. Is, yes. how I would descri- is how I would describe him I remember, in stretch of time. <laughs> I remember when we watched Basic Instinct, and I think around when we did Basic Instinct, and I, I also watched the game because I was trying to get into 90s Michael Douglas mode. Yeah. And I remember watching those, and I remember like texting my mom being like, someone who like was peak watching movies in the 90s when they were coming out. Right. Like that was when she was watching movies. I was just like, was Michael Douglas like sexy? Was he hot? Was yeah. he like the guy? Because like, I look at him now, and I'm kind of like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, he's got, he's got like a, like a, might a commanding be, that, presence. See, that's what I thought he, it might be. People like definitely, that. he's definitely a sex, uh, 
sort of icon in yeah. these movies for sure. Yeah, but he, he it, 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 it feels like in like, like a weird like corporate daddy kind of way though. That's what I feel like. It's more like power than it is actual just physical. Uh, you know, he, you know he, he, he's not Chris Hemsworth. He ain't like right. you know, yeah, that kind of thing. There's no, there's what? no scene where he takes off his shirt and yeah. his giant We're, penthouse. And Gwyneth Paltrow's like, "Damn, dude, <laughs> Damn, that's why at, I can't leave that, you." That's five year old man. Which is funny too, right? Which goes sort of hand in hand with what we're saying that they just don't make these movies anymore. Is like, yeah. you know. As you just said, the sex symbols now is like Chris Hemsworth. It's not Michael du- Michael Douglas's paunch under his like Oxford shirt. Oh, like yeah. like, like like someone an actor equivalent to Michael Douglas today would be completely uh, character actor roles. Yeah, yeah, entirely. There's no one like there's no leading. I, I man couldn't role even think of a correlation, honestly. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. It really is because it's just it, they're not making these films anymore. It really just it doesn't. <laughs> Happen. He At would be starring on like a on like a Showtime series or or maybe yeah. an HBO. You yeah. know what I mean? It would be like the type of vehicles for for the roles that Michael Douglas played. It's like yeah. essentially the closest sort of comparison I could think of would be Damian Lewis and Billions. Honest, honestly, great show, great performance. That, right? yeah. Josh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Damian Lewis. On, uh, Damian Lewis actually is a good equivalent to maybe like what something like Michael Douglas is doing because Damian Lewis isn't like a traditionally good-looking man either. My mom actually can't watch Billions because she I tried to get her to watch it, but she she can't <laughs> she, she can't stand looking at his face. There's just something creepy about it. Uh, uh, but great eyebrows, but very Paul Giamatti on that show though. Lips that pissed me off. Ooh, what's that? Is he the guy that uh, does he have another show? Sorry to sidetrack. Yeah, this, he has home, he does that Homeland. Is it Homeland? Yeah. I He's have the guy that same Land. thing that your phone oh has where I can't stand his face. <laughs> That's hilarious. I just had to throw that in there. That's so funny. Sorry, no offense to that actor. I'm sure he's fine. Damien Lewis, yeah. <laughs> yeah, our bad. No, no relationship to me, but that's all good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, th- they don't make this mid-budget movie at large, but they're also not making erotic thrillers like this anymore. I mean, like, in, in the 90s, there was, like, a, a whole slew of these you had, like, uh, yeah. I mean, it started in the 80s, I guess. With like Fatal Attraction, shit. You had Wild Things. You had. I mean, I mean the opening the, the credits are Vigo and and Gwyneth Paltrow having sex. I mean, yeah, that's the yeah. opening credits. That's those are two megastars, and I couldn't imagine a movie opening like that. Well, I mean, day. David Cronenberg did his own weirdo version of it with Crash, using James Spader and Holly Hunter shortly after, like, Secretary with James Spader and that as well. But then mm-hmm. you also had, like, super trash versions of this. I mean, Billy Baldwin was in one with Sharon Stone called Sliver, which I don't know oh, if shit. either of you I've heard of that one. That. I, yeah, no, I, I, I've I, never seen that, I'm looking uh, up fortunately, that. I think. That's one where Billy Baldwin has, like, a uh, an ap- owns an entire apartment complex where he constantly watches all of his people on the security cameras and Sharon Stone is like one of the people who lives in his building and like oh. it's this really like creepy voyeuristic aspect to it I mean it's pure trash like I don't even know that I'd have to rewatch it but I don't know that I could go to bad for it even as like good trash even. Oh, but shit. it's just like that you makes know, me want to watch it. It, it it's the way that they kind of recycled very similar looks which was you know these kind of lavish condos apartments and houses this like very sort of like steamy sweaty like passionate melodrama it's just horrible relationships combined with like you know this really really suspenseful plotting basically where you know there's a murder 
and they're like, "Ooh, it's sex and violence together." <laughs> yeah. And all the all the all the little moms and dads out there are like, "Fuck, I'm I'm hard." That, that's <laughs> that's what did it. The premise alone, and for ten years they could just make nothing <laughs> but these yeah, okay. movies. There's there's Get a airport paperbacks. There. You just crank them out, right? And and they're pretty straightforward too. And that's what I liked about this movie. Honest, honestly, revisiting it was just ha- sort of how straightforward the plan was. Um, oh, the, in the, the sense the movie that like, is almost entirely plotting. It's pretty nuts. Like I couldn't yeah. believe it. How many conversations people like? How many twists this eventually had to it? Like I like I, I couldn't believe how fast Michael Douglas was already trying to hire the guy to kill his wife. Because I went into I this gonna, blind. Yeah, and like w- when he goes to hire Viggo Mortensen to kill his wife, it's like the first like ten minutes of the movie. Yeah, it, I was it's, like, it's like twenty minutes of setup and then just all plot. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, most of the time bang, bang, when bang. you see this kind of plot, they the first twenty minutes is the setup to the cheating yeah and then but instead they're just like they nope open they're already cheating, the cheating yeah. and now we start the murder plot it's it, it is really right away which i did find interesting and it pulls you in right away too because some of the time i mean i'm not you're waiting that concerned. you're just waiting yeah because i'm like i'm start i want the plotting to start happening with these kind of films so it was cool that they were just like you know what let's just start this murder plot let's get it going well it, it's it's funny too right because we were talking about the director uh earlier who has directed some very good movies. Like, I think The Fugitive is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Under Siege is like, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have seen Under Siege quite a yeah. few times on Under VHS. Under Siege is on our future watch list. It's um, like a Steven Seagal one. So. And, <laughs> and, and, and so, like, he, he knows where to put the camera, right? It's like, he knows blocking, which yeah, a lot of people a don't know film, how to do anymore. For sure. But, it's, but it looks like kind of anonymous, too. Yeah. It's it's not like it's sort of just style. Yeah, no, which, for sure, for sure. This is like my main note about like this movie, which is both uh, both a negative and a positive for me, is that this is just an incredibly competent movie. Yeah, like through exactly. and through. Yeah, like this is exactly what it is. I'm interested in why Sturdy. it would be a negative. Like the mm. the is it does it bore you in that sense? Because no, it's I, not quite. I, w- I would just say that I I don't think it takes the extra leap into, for example, if we're going to compare this to other erotic thrillers or even just other sure. '90s thrillers. You know, like if we were to compare this to something like Basic Instinct, I don't think that this gets as perversely horny and violent sure, as something yeah. like Basic Instinct done, which yeah. again is another Hitchcock the- riff, but done where like Michael Dux- Douglas's sexuality is like a full blown, he is just a horny psychopath by the end. And the actual murders in that movie are, I mean, here they get pretty grim too, but like there's the, the, the the thermometer to the throat is, is I forgot about that. It actually was more violent than I anticipated and bloody when when it does make that turn. Um, but I also felt that because of its competency, it kind of just, it, it does its plot and it wasn't to me as, you know, as clever as something like the anxious simulated playground of something like the game, which is like Fincher mm. going full formal trickster on his character and the audience. And this doesn't have that either. This is just has a baseline competence, which works for it. Yeah. And, and I, I think makes the movie like why I like it, but is also especially having Douglas, like he's such a powerful. Presence. Yeah. But by, by the end, when we do get to like the final ending of the film, I did feel like it kind of just, it, it did go through the motions competently of what this ending should look like. Although, Although I did read, and we'll get to it maybe when we do get to the end here, that it has an alternate ending. Oh, really? Uh, that I, I saw that too. I saw that too. And I think it would have been more interesting. Amazing. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, th- I think the alternate ending would have played much better. But being the 90s, I'm sure the studio yeah. focus tested this to death. 
hundred percent. I mean, maybe we should get through more of the movie, but we will circle back to this and tell you what okay. it is because you was, will be I was blown away. Mention a couple things where Douglas turns by the end, but I'll I'll save it because there's two moments in particular that are just kind of. Well, one is just, uh, I think, a reference, and then the other one is legitimately fucking hilarious. So yeah. I'll I'll save it. But anyway, yeah, let's let's jump into, um, you know, so we've already talked about the fact that Michael Douglas, sort of like this hedge fund hedge fund millionaire who's having some some problems with some stocks. He's he's getting a little financially desperate, and he found out that his wife didn't get a prenup, and his wife has like a hundred million is worth a hundred million dollars in her trust fund or whatever. Cas- casual, yeah, just sure. casual. <laughs> uh, which actually is a kind of a unique reveal because I I didn't expect that when they revealed the fact that she's actually the like the more rich person of the two. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't realize that until they actually brought that up. Um, which plays great into the idea that Michael Douglas views her as a piece of art that he's collected, right? Is yes. the yeah. fact that she, she, she has, has value, financial value. value is why he wants her to just be in the apartment, like the statue. Yeah. It's she's worth a hundred million. And that's why she's so appealing. Which appealing. calls even to that beginning where he's, where she's about to t- put on a dress and he's like, no, I want you to wear that dress. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's a constant control where it, that's, that's a perfect way to put it is that she's like a piece of art that he gets to almost dress up and show <laughs> off to everybody. And yeah, it's some dark shit. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, the plot really kicks in when she's caught cheating on Michael Douglas with Viggo Mortensen, who is a uh, con man trying to also uh, use her for her money, but posing as, you know, like this real deal, you know, city artist, painter. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's, he's got the flannel. He's got like the huge, uh, like open space, uh, warehouse, apartment, yeah. warehouse apartment looking motherfucker where he, he does his work. An artist. Yeah. Somehow, somehow looks beautiful yet is also a complete dump. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like he's like, like he's, he's got like that, uh, the, the long hair and the stubble and the flannel and, you know, he's, he's doing, you know, he's trying, it's almost like he's posing in that like nineties grudge scene, yeah, grudge scene yeah, a little definitely. bit. Right. Um, and uh, when he gets caught doing that and Michael Douglas catches him, Michael Douglas is like, okay, well, you're a con man. You're in this for the money. So here's the thing. You're I not think it's an her. important distinction, though, that I picked up this time watching it is that they say that all the other women that Vigo's con have been uh, older widows. And right. so to me, I took that as Gwyneth. The reason why he had the extra feelings was she's the first, you know, attractive woman. He's actually done this too. Right, like it's it's yeah. not it's for Vigo. It is not purely financial. Yeah, but because well, because again, they're just hot people having sex. It's <laughs> yeah. not going to be that you know. You're, there's going to get feelings caught up in yeah. that. Yeah, tough you know? job, tough job. <laughs> yeah. that Vigo likes to do. Uh, and Michael Douglas makes him an offer: five hundred thousand uh, dollars for you to go away. And yeah. but while you go away, you also have to kill my wife. And he's just like. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I guess okay. I need that money. Yep, so and what in, what ensues is you know kind of Michael Douglas who has been clearly hatching this plan for some time. He has it set up. He's just been looking for the right guy who has the motivation to actually want to do it, and he sets up this hugely convoluted plan where he has the <laughs> yeah. perfect alibi by going out for poker night, um, where he's going to place a call into his business at the exact time that someone uh, is going to break into his house and. Uh, murder his wife and he leaves the key uh outside the door 
so that the uh, Viggo Mortensen can come in and he can use the key and he can get her in the shower. Um, but one amazing touch that happens here is that Michael Douglas wasn't satisfied with that. He has to fucking call the house and get her out of the tub. Yeah, because I know. He, here's the thing: he just couldn't let him. That's how big of a control freak he is. He was micromanaging his wife's murder. <laughs> yeah, no, one hundred percent. Because here's the thing: if 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 he had just let the person like actually you know sneak in and kill her in the bathtub, she probably would have been shocked and wouldn't have been able to do anything. Oh yeah. But because he freaked her out by calling her and put her on edge where she's on the phone. She it was immediately more reactive and already, you know, had had better reflexes by the time the guy actually does approach her yep. uh, and puts a meat thermometer into his neck, which spurts blood. Great everywhere. kill. Very, yeah. very sort of slasher esque. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, and I mean blood everywhere. Yeah, just for real. Squirting just directly <laughs> out. It's like all over her visceral. white robe and everything. Yeah. Her bathroom. Yeah. Like when uh, Oren uh, beheads the dude in Kill Bill. Yes. Yeah. That sort of geyser of blood. Yeah, yeah just everywhere. And I mean, she eventually passes out into the pool of blood. <laughs> yeah, which is, and kind of a a very dark and in this weird way, like, romantic image. Because at first you think it's Vito, which will will reveal that it isn't. Uh, but uh, at first you think it is. So it's this weird thing where they've struggled and fought and then she had to kill him. And then they pass out and she's like in his arms almost as if. <laughs> what we saw in the first scene where they're in bed together. I thought that that was kind of interesting. I yeah. don't know if that's what they were going for. No, I think, I think partially. No, no, that. for sure. I, yeah. that, that was definitely intentional. Yeah. Um, and then it, of course we reveal it's not Vito and you're just like, uh, that's where the plot really thickens. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, uh, one of my favorite bits in this is that Michael Douglas comes back and he, he, uh, cause I, for God's sake, dude, he, he had to listen to the murder on the phone call. Like he just yeah, wanted to hear her strangled. Maniac like, move. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very totally. Patrick Bateman-esque. Yeah. Which is funny because of his outfit later in the movie, yeah, which is, that was one of the things yeah. I had to reference. Which I looked up this preempted that in American Psycho. No yeah. way. Yeah, it did. Oh, shit. Yeah. So I was kinda, like, wow, Mike, that's cool. Michael Douglas. Uh, <laughs> the OG. A, a serial killing icon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, but that's when, awesome. When he gets back and he sees that the, you know, the, the kill has gone wrong and that Gwyneth is like on the phone already calling the cops, the cops are on the way and he thinks that it's um, Vigo who's, who's under... Uh, who, who's dead with a meat thermometer in his neck in his kitchen. <laughs> yeah. um, he immediately does that. Uh, there's like this suspense sequence where he pulls the gloves out of the kitchen, uh, you know, the, like the kitchen drawer. Um, and he <laughs> takes a screwdriver. He simulates a break in because, because he, because he can't have the fact that, you know, this guy got murdered and she fended him off, yeah. but he used a key to get in. Cause I that doesn't make sense. I also love how quickly he does this. Oh where yeah. He's just he, like, no oh, hesitation. Shit, my plan A didn't work. Go, go, go. Like, yep. it's like he had, it is almost like he had it all set up uh, in case it didn't go, uh, correctly. But at the same time, I feel like his character is just kind of that determined and that sharp. And, uh, that's really what led him there. Yeah, no. And, and it's, it, it is that classic case of you're actually watching people who are mildly intelligent people kind of like go back and forth. So this yeah. does turn into yeah. a case of, you know, when he, when he grabs, like, like when he pulls the key immediately out of the dude's pocket and puts it back onto her on, on quick her thinking, quick yeah, thinking, is part. very quick thinking. Yeah. And then the way that this 
all comes back later in the film, you know, when the, when the fact that she tries the key out on their apartment later in the film, and it turns out that the key that he took from the guy's pocket wasn't the key to their apartment, but the key to the killer's apartment, who was a guy who Vigo hired, yeah. uh, someone yeah. that he met at Berkeley randomly. So, yeah, like, he, yeah, because he, he gives the he gives that great line to Michael Douglas where he's like, "Next time, why don't you be a man and do your own wet work?" Which I just thought was very funny. And I almost took as a reference to Under Siege because why? Like I was like, does Michael Douglas even understand the term wet work? I mean, does, <laughs> does he understand like what he's saying? Yeah, no, for real. Well, and also it's funny because he's also hiring someone to kill someone for him too. Yeah, so he's just like getting mad at someone for hiring someone else yeah, to do the like, job. You just well, did well, that, bro, <laughs> and you took my money. Yeah. <laughs> well, well. So to me too, these two movies and and why I wanted to pair them together. Um, a perfect murder and to die for is I view them as, uh, you know, this is a perfect murder, sort of the straight faced version of to die for, right? right? It's, it's doing it the straight way, but more yeah. importantly, it shows the difference in class too, right? Because it's in a perfect murder. It's in little hope, New Hampshire. It's about the, it's as low stakes as it gets. And what I kept thinking about with, while watching a perfect murder was, Man, it's much easier to murder your spouse if you start out rich, because then you can hire like private detectives and stuff. It's like the <laughs> yeah, difference. This is both in about planning. murdering your wife or your right. spouse, I guess. I guess yeah. it's your right. husband and the other spouse. One. But it's it's like uh, you know, it's Nicole Kidman's convincing, you know, who seems to be like a challenged teenager to do this, and Michael Douglas has a, seemingly an army of of private detectives setting this up for him. No, a hundred percent. And then the rest of the film becomes a little bit of like marriage as manipulation, uh, because some of the back and forth here get really interesting where, you know, Gwyneth is obviously on edge. She starts suspecting Michael Douglas. And there's one scene where she does. She figures out that key scenario, sits in his office and confronts, confronts him. She's basically ready to be like, you fucking let him in. Like yeah. you, you, like uh, you, like, why is the key to the killer on my thing? And that scene is incredible to me where he takes that and he's prepared for that response somehow. Yeah, right. It's like, he's yeah. gone crazy. Yeah. And I, now it, he I had just plans on top of plans. Yeah. Right? And I just realized they set up his backup plan within the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie where they print that off envelope that little, yeah. and the picture. And he and doesn't don't use that until Gwyneth is like, you're the guy that set this up. He's had this, like, he had a plan C, basically. Yeah, like, like he, had a, he had a backup plan to, incri- backup plan. to incriminate, you know, someone else, basically. Yeah, to, I, to, to basically like, turn Gwyneth against Vigo, as Vigo is actually the actor here who is, yeah. you know, blackmailing and murdering. Not me. Right, yeah. yeah <laughs> it's constantly trying to, to flip who the, like who, the, who the mastermind is. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that the way that they start that scene where he walks in and she has the upper hand sitting in his chair in his office being like, you're the one. And the way that he just schemes his way around to not only her being on his side, her apologizing to him. Yeah. Like, she's I like can't believe for what my cheating like you know put you under what kind of stress what kind of you know like and then she's like is this the reason you're having financial trouble because you're paying this guy off because of blackmail and he's like <laughs> and, it, and i like how he's like well i hadn't considered that but exactly, sure. exactly. yeah, yeah that i love that bit because it because he was like i actually wasn't even gonna go that far but you put he's that like, together you just added a whole other thing to my plan thanks for making this even stronger <laughs> yeah so watching the way that you know and and you get to see michael douglas do this from like almost like a pov point of view like it's we great. like like we are let yeah. in on michael Michael Douglas's 
point of view from the beginning of this film. Watching him be this chameleon, it's it's unreal. Yeah, and the way that he uses people, the way that he manipulates people. Um, What's I mean, better the, the than way, his the way, voice too? His, oh, his yeah. voice is just the best. Demanding. I mean, yeah, it, it's what I it's what I said earlier today. His phone acting is ten out of ten. <laughs> I mean, no one acts over the phone quite like Michael Douglas. <laughs> no, a- absolutely. Every single '90s movie he's in, he's got that big ass phone yeah. going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I got to say that that scene was when I was most into this movie. Was when he flips the tables on 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 Gwyneth and gets him back on Me his too. side, and then starts scheming with her against Vigo, <laughs> yeah. um, and working that out. But then Vigo kind of complicates that too, and you know, so all of this, you know, th- this perfect murder turns into like I, I, this is obviously the ironic title it turns into this hugely convoluted situation where you know multiple people are vying for multiple situations and i will say that it was eventually the finale of this film which is what kind of let me down a little bit was because Mm -hmm. i did think that the end result of this was you know he eventually continues to scheme they have another big breakdown like actually in the house where they have like an actual scuffle and everything yeah where vigo has recorded the conversation of him describing you know how you know to to kill her best and he he sends that uh, not only does he pay 400,000 or he gets $400,000 from Michael Douglas to uh you know get that tape in hand which I don't know how he wasn't smart enough to think that obviously he was going to mail another copy. Yeah. Uh, also, can I just say listen, I've never seen 400 grand in cash but I don't think it could all fit in one shoebox. <laughs> no, that's 100. I just got to say that was the only like part a- of this movie that stretched my <laughs> my like my uh, believability. <laughs> But I will say, also, this movie does feature a train sequence, so automatically at cinema, I have this rule, where <laughs> yeah. if the movie has a train in it, for some capacity, it's immediately, it, it's not a movie anymore, it's, it's cinema. Yeah, A it, great it, train it, sequence, too. A great sort of train climax. Yeah, where, yeah, where uh, <laughs> Vigo gets the money, he escapes on the train, uh, and Michael Douglas comes out in his American Psycho getup. Yeah, uh, which is awesome to know that he great was the jump first to scare. do it now. Oh yeah. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For some reason, this movie has one jump scare in it and that's Michael Douglas comes out of nowhere and just stabs Vigo. Well, well, yeah, well no, yeah, and he does it in that I scene. I could not he's... figure out how he got in there. I was like <laughs> no, this no, is was... Copperfield. I was like he had to have been crouched in there for at least a half an hour beforehand. Well, and, and yeah. they set it up too cuz they do that one earlier where uh, he disappears in the that, crowd. These were the two things that I was going <laughs> to reference. That part made me laugh so fucking hard. He Spider-Man threes him. It's just so funny. You know, I, I reference it. You know when Franco does it in yeah. Spider-Man three. Oh right, right, when right, he, right. When he gives him a little wink and then he's gone because of the truck. I couldn't believe they just did this in a perfect murder. Like Michael Douglas is just in a park with his fucking like overcoat and he's just, just like, gone. And I'm gone. He's like, like he's Batman. Super yeah, he just throws down the, the smoke bomb. And he's out of there. Yeah, Bruce Wayne's the fuck out. Well, of and not only that, there's like literally 10 moments in this film where Gwyneth Paltrow like looks behind her and is shocked to see Michael Douglas who's like somehow appeared like in the room. He's supernatural <laughs> being eventually. It's hilarious. Like they use the same shock scare like 10 times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then finally they do use it for great effect because he uses it finally and it's to gut Vigo Mortensen. And I love that Vigo Mortensen is just in, in his dying breath. He's, he's still kind of an asshole. He's yeah. just like, look, I mailed the tape. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Great, great sort of final fuck you. By yeah. Vigo. 
Yeah, immediately runs. These guys run, are just relentless. He immediately run home, runs home, intercepts the package, and puts it into his safe uh, so that Gwyneth can't open it and hear, you know, the tape of him, you know, uh, c- confirming how, you know, the killer was going to murder yeah. her. And he goes, and of course, in typical fashion, he, he takes that steamy shower. Yeah. That just really I steamy I shower. I know. That's always, that gets him every time. Yeah. He's really got to he, learn to, he's not, stop. To, let, to make sure the plan has, in fact, worked before taking <laughs> Or at shower. least put the fucking bag in the safe. <laughs> like, dude, you went through all of this meticulous planning and you've you've gotten through every little thing. You even got through three times she believed that you were the one that tried to kill her. And you've made her believe that you're the innocent one. And then the only thing you did was leave the bag in the living room. That's what got you in trouble. Well, and, and, such a, and also just in con, just like on, Douglas. also uh, conspicuously uh, just like not greeting her when he came in in the first place. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like, like I thought definitely she wouldn't she wouldn't she wouldn't have noticed the bag or the package probably if he had just like put the package into the bag and like, like set the bag down like even just in front of her and then walked up to her or something like yeah. that. If he had yeah. been so weird. Yeah, that's exactly. what got him. He was just—he—he he clearly looked like he had just killed Vigo Mortensen. Yeah, and, well, and, and he drew attention to the safe, and then she was like, "Obviously, I know the combination to the safe. It's our fucking wedding day, yeah, you moron." Dude. Um, and they—they they have this final confrontation where she's—she's she's heard it, she's seen the money, she knows what's happened. Um, she even confronts him about the the key, the fact they should change the locks because she doesn't have the key. And he goes and he finds—he goes immediately immediately and grabs the fucking key revealing that he knew where the key was yeah and then she's right. like okay you fucking did like all like this is it's done you did this and the craziest part is that this ending for me was so weak where she just goes i'm gonna tell on you <laughs> and oh, she yeah. goes to leave and then he assaults her and then she shoots him and then and that's it that's it the police come yeah. and they're just like oh uh like it was self-defense. You had nothing that you could do, I guess. Like yeah. that's the uh, good strong cut, cut like, to credits, strong cut to credits yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the thing that that cut to credits for me, it didn't hit as hard because the moment didn't hit as hard, but in that alternate ending, that moment works would much fucking better. smash. It's time to explain that. Alternate okay. So ending. let's do it. So I'll, uh, let me, <laughs> let me lay out this alternate ending for you. So, the the final confrontation plays out basically the same okay. where the evidence stacks up that she understands what um michael douglas has done they have a confrontation but the scene actually um plays out uh in in the kitchen um instead of in the in the foyer there okay so where and, the original killing happened yes and uh he never um assaults her at all he oh, basically she he basically, just shoots him like yeah she he basically just says um like what are you gonna do like you can't prove this like uh like we're we're married classic internet joke where he's like what are you gonna do shoot me and then she shoots (laughs) yeah and and basically apparently in that alternate ending you know he 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 tells her that the only way you're gonna get out of this is like over my dead body basically and she pulls out the gun and just fucking point blank murders him oh damn Um, okay and then this is this is the real kicker because while he's bleeding out he says you won't get away with this and what she does, she stages it to look like self-defense. She she harms herself. Like, she basically starts scratching herself. She does, like, that fucking kid in Scream 4 yeah. who, like, uh, they, they like, jump into, like, the, the glass table and they, like, break their arm. They shoot themselves in the shoulder and everything. Right, right, like, she right. makes it look like she was attacked and the murder, what, the mur- his it, murder it, was in self-defense. And then... It, it makes it more of the relay 
race where it's like each person's handed off the baton of murder and finally Gwyneth Paltrow brings it on home. Right. And that is the perfect murder. Like that to me is when she murders him, like that's perfect. But when she kills him in this final step, he's a titular perfect murder. Yeah, it's (laughs) self-defense. Exactly. Well, and and then that would bring real power. That's a good point. To me, that would bring real power to that final scene that that she has with the cop. Well, it makes her more culpable. It 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 makes her less of a victim and makes it more of all three of them were sort of totally damaged forever by each other yeah. right and, and then and then she's forced to manipulate the one detective that Who she really liked her and, yeah, and, yeah. And, and and that's and it would bring power to his line where he says there was nothing you could do it was self-defense and she would be left with that moment where she yeah, she would know so it wasn't be- self-defense that right? is so much better um and yeah. then so it, exactly you think it was but probably Hollywood just that studio and, yeah and they could do yeah. it Exactly. You think it's probably just that studio wrap up? Yeah, it, w- it would make people have more complicated feelings about Gwyneth Paltrow's and God character. God forbid we do that. Yeah. Which, which which we could not have the no. same year as uh, Shakespeare no, in Love. It, so. as, 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 <laughs> yeah. as soon as I read that, this confirmed my rating for me. So maybe as we jump into the reductive yeah, rating round that, here, for sure. Uh, yeah, let's this, do it. This was a let's three. This was like a yeah. like a like maybe like a mid tier three for me because I think this is competently made. I think that, I mean, the kills get particularly brutal, too, when they get there. And I think that this is a, another case of where the plotting is really fun and the way that it informs yeah. the character dynamics, especially with Michael Douglas. It's watching it all Douglas. unfold and watching yeah. Douglas deal with every little I was, situation. I was never bored watching this movie. No. Like I, I felt like they the were just constantly well. hitting yeah. me with these characters, like trying to outmaneuver each other and trying to perform, you know, the perfect murder. Uh, no, it's very sturdy. That That's the word yeah. I would use to describe it. I mean, it's just a sturdy thriller. Exactly. And, yeah. and the thing is, is that they really set up this idea of, you know, these characters, you know, learning to manipulate each other and manipulate the circumstances in a way that they can get away with something or they can, you know, and I really felt that, that was building to something. And it sounds like in this alternate version, it builds to Gwyneth Paltrow eventually taking over that. Yeah. And so, like, to me, that would would have been the upgrade. I would have been like, this is it's a much thing. bolder choice. Yeah. for sure. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, by the time I just hit the ending of the film, I was really like, wow, they, they didn't hammer home that, you know, that sort of like, you know, marriage as manipulation aspect and they didn't hit home, you know, like these wealthy freaks trying to kill each other. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so like they, yeah, it doesn't, it feel like if Michael Douglas like got away with this, he would then have immediately driven to the orgy from eyes wide shut. (laughs) No, that's exactly what he would have fucking done. He would have been like, I'm gold. I don't need to go to work tomorrow. (laughs) I'm going partying. I'm going out. That's uh, so yeah, so you know, as we've already said, I think this is this is a competent film, but I do think that you know that ending would have a lot more power if they had stuck to their guns and actually done the ending that um, you know seemed to me it seemed like that's the ending they were actually building to, to when I watched yeah. the rest of the movie, and I didn't realize that until I read it because yeah. watching the movie, I was just like, oh, th- that's it, okay, yeah. and then yeah. when I read about it, I was my, like, oh, I fuck guess you guys. That's <laughs> yeah, my guess is that's the ending that they were probably in their heads thought they would get like when, when you find out that this ending existed, it definitely, that's how they played it. It makes more sense with the rest of the movie and the choices that they were making and stuff like that. It's funny. It's funny that you say that too. Cause I, when I watched this film and I, it had ended, I did, I did also land on, on the three, like, but it Mm -hmm. it was a pretty strong three. And I was kind of like, what is, what is it that's stopping me? me? I was so entertained by Douglas. I I enjoyed everybody's (laughs) performance. I thought the pacing was really, uh, really good. It was so interesting watching Douglas just kind of fumble, but then figure it out and then keep going. Um, but then that ending happened, and I was—I I said to myself, 
I think this conversation is going to be what could possibly get me to that four. And now it's just kind of solidified that that's what it was. It's the ending. It's, 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 mm -hmm. That's what would have gotten me that extra point. Um, because that just makes so much sense. And it correlates with the a perfect murder and all that. Now it's more like really good self-defense. <laughs> so yeah. That is catchy. Um, a perfect self-defense. Yeah, just nailed it. Yeah, Extremely um, good alibi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it the three. Um, but if I saw it with that alternate ending, uh, I definitely would have given it the four. So yeah, well, I, 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 is, I, I, is it, was it filmed or it's just written? No, it's, it's filmed. Like oh, I, wow. I, I, uh, apparently on it, the, on people the, definitely saw it. I can't believe it hasn't made its way to YouTube or something. Yeah, yeah but okay, I'm, I'm pretty sure I read that on the blu-ray copy of the movie you can just watch the movie flat with the alternative ending that well that well, let me say that i think that would be a four yeah star. let me but, let, yeah let me log on letterboxd the specifically <laughs> the alternate a perfect it's, murder it, it, alternate it's, 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 <laughs> four stars it, yeah it's black hat fx cut and then a perfect murder alternate ending cut those are the two yes exactly but for you nick yeah for me uh, I would say it's like a three eight. It's just a sturdy. It's a hearty bowl of gumbo to me. <laughs> it's just the perfect sort of comfort food. I mean, I've seen this movie countless times, probably. And you know, is it going to blow your socks off? No. You know, I think To Die For is for sure the more formally inventive movie. Yeah. But but this is to me, this is a great throwback to um, an era that I wish still you could. I, I wish a movie like this was an option on a Friday night. I agree. Oh. And, and so I think with the alternate ending, um, which we should I would also agree. clarify the it's, alternate it's, ending is also like more perverse. Like that would have actually made it stand up with other nineties thrillers that I think yeah, are like, right. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But keep yeah. going, Nick. No, no, it's yeah. So I think that again, that would have pushed it, but it's a three, eight. It's, it's very competently made, which I think is a compliment these days. And, um, I think it's three really strong performances and listen, it's for as sort of, um, you know, convoluted as the plot does get at the end. It is, it's pretty straightforward. It's, it's p three people trying to do the perfect murder though. I will say it gets me every time where the detective reveals that the key to the case is quite literally a key or, or the missing key, if you will, like <laughs> whatever reason, I just always laugh when he says, there's only one thing that doesn't make sense. He didn't have a key. And I was like, you know, that's just, that's just funny, which I guess it does make sense. That is a weird thing, but I always laugh that that's what cracks the case open. <laughs> the key to this case is the key. The key. Yeah, is the key. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, if you just really want to see like Viggo Mortensen and Gwyneth Paltrow like roll around to like a drum beat uh, yeah. in 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 between, also can I say Vigo's, and like erotically like coffee pressing and stuff too? Yeah, like Vigo's so, like, cold ass line he gets to deliver where he's just like, "Oh, by the way, while we're waiting, can I still fuck your wife?" And, and, <laughs> I, I, and like, I think that is I think pure Michael Douglas's erotic reaction right there. shot in that too is is fantastic. I mean, he oh, genuinely yeah. laughs at that one. Yeah. Yeah. For real. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, that was a great moment. Good shit. All right. Well, I think that will wrap it up for this week's episode. That was, uh, shit. I always get this, this part, to this die part for. wrong. That, that was to die for <laughs> 1995 and a perfect murder in 1998. Thanks so much, Nick, for joining us. Uh, thank this you is, guys. Oh, no problem. This is the part of the show where if you've got anything to plug, you can do it here. Oh man, no! I guess I throw me that follow on Twitter. I can. Uh, besides I can, that, 
Uh, I'll just plug this pod. Keep up the good work, boys. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Uh, I, like I can also confirm. Follow, boys. follow, follow Nick Hewson. Uh, he he's got some fire tweets. I, I I've been noticing your tweets have been getting a lot more traction lately. I feel like you're posting like you got like five shit posts a day, and like one <laughs> of those babies gets like one k likes almost every time. You know, it's it's you know it's uh it's just plugging away right we're we're all in the in the posting comedy we're all in the dang comedy club that is twitter (laughs) uh just just trying to pass the time until global warming takes us so until then let's keep enjoying some 90s erotic thrillers yeah there will be some fire posts out there um but in one week's time uh patrons uh you guys are gonna get your bonus episode and we are gonna be talking spaghetti westerns for the yeah. first time on the show oh nice we are going to be talking django 1966 Django. directed by sergio corbucci and the 1968 follow-up once again by legendary spaghetti western filmmaker sergio corbucci the great silence we're doing two heavy hitters i hadn't both bangers yeah both, I, I hadn't done both personal favorites oh they're amazing yeah. and i hadn't done a whole lot of spaghetti westerns prior to watching these so i watched like yeah, I saw that. 15 you saw tons. spaghetti westerns. I just did a whole bunch of research. So uh, we're going to have a lot to say on next week's episode. That's, uh, again, patreon.com slash podcast for everyone who wants that episode. But in two weeks' time, we are going to be back with a special guest, and that guest is Keith Calder, uh, the movie producer behind such movies as you guys might have heard, Blind Spotting from 2018 nice. also the that's guest. kind of a big get for you guys we were huh? pretty happy to, yeah. to, 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 to that, <laughs> we're pretty that nice. Keith wanted yeah. to come on the show he also produced two horror movies i like one that you're uh you're next yeah and all but also the 2014 follow-up the, the guest um i still haven't seen that i'll have to watch that before yeah you'll have we, to uh, yeah well you're having him on, on the podcast so you're gonna yeah, have to gonna have we're to gonna talk to him see, yeah. in uh, two uh, weeks so. one of one of my favorite movie soundtracks the guest i work out to that all the time oh for real it's so good if you're gonna watch any of them watch the guest for sure with yeah. uh, dan stevens I think anyway that's my only blind he's spot. coming on the pod in two weeks time and he's bringing with him dog day afternoon uh i believe 1973 Sweet. i think, I think that one's or maybe 75 um so either way we're gonna be doing dog day afternoon with al pacino and we're gonna be pairing it uh with another sort of like uh hostage heist type scenario film 1974 the taking of pelham oh, one two three let's go baby yeah. <laughs> two two another two personal favorites of mine that's awesome. Well, that's what we're going to be doing for free listeners in two weeks' times with Sweet. movie producer uh, Keith Calder. Uh, that will wrap it up for this week's episode. Thanks, as always, for listening, and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy, y'all. Thanks, guys.